Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Hi, this is Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And uh, welcome to Climate Change and Happiness. This is our podcast. Pano and I have been working on this podcast for a couple of years now, came from our own personal dialogues, and we thought we'd open this up and share this with the public and with our, you know, bringing in our colleagues. And this is a podcast for people around the globe who are thinking and um, most importantly, feeling a lot of interesting, deep things about climate change and other environmental issues. And so in this particular podcast, we talk about the emotional aspects. Pano is doing a lot of research and writing on this. I'm working with people on this and also doing my own writing and work. And so this is a place for the emotions, all emotions, all the time. The emotions are in our bodies. They're physiological. We can measure those. The feelings, of course, are infinite because it's our language and our words. And all around the world, there are all kinds of different feelings, words that we use to describe our emotions. So, um, Panu, I speaking of emotions, um, I know you've been working on this for years now, recently someone adapted some of your work into an emotions wheel, a wheel of different kinds of emotions that to think about in terms of, of climate change. And I thought we would touch in on that and see what, see what you think about that and how that, how that flows out of your work. And we'll go from there. Yes, thanks, Thomas. This climate emotion wheel has now been shared pretty heavily in social media and the visualization and the selection of the words was made by this organization climate mental health and they asked me to comment on the project also so i i did some of some of that and there's been interesting developments for example it's been on times square advertisement in in new york for mm. a for a while and so it really seems to resonate with many many people and my, myself when I started to dig deeper into emotion studies I remember that visualizations were very helpful in addition to all this text that we have about emotions. Robert Plutchik has this famous emotion wheel and there's several versions available online and as you Thomas well know emotion researchers have debates between them as all researchers do, do. and so mm-hmm. there's no standard emotion wheel that would be accepted by by ev- everyone. I really think that these are practically useful, but of course they also have their limits and there are always simplifying things. So yeah. there's pros pros and cons in in using using these, but I'm very happy uh, that my work has been useful in the creation of this wheel. Yes, um, 
you can go on Amazon and find a, a Climate Emotions Wheel pillow and a Climate Emotions Wheel. Uh, uh, therapists use these uh, in their work and there's posters and any mental health person will be familiar with this stuff. It's, it's helpful to have some sort of guide uh, to all different kinds of emotions. So there's two things that we're talking about in this podcast for people in the know, for researchers, there's all the backstory of how people empirically study this and it's quite interesting and then there's just our our own need of it because we cannot be alive without having emotions all living things have some sort of emotional response to the environment and then of course as humans we have these these nuanced potentially nuanced feelings so it's nice to have like anything else a guide a taxonomy as you say like a list of words um and the wheel is just putting that into a graphic form and so i think it's i think it's helpful do you think you know as as someone who gets deep into this obviously i i i believe you think it's helpful for people to look at these kind of wheels and i'm so impressed that it's in times square i didn't know that i think that's great is there any downsides of putting this onto a wheel well there's all always potential dangers and also in relation to the old emotion wheels, people have been uh, wary of the possibility that folks would think that the emotions in the middle are somehow mm. really the most important and primary ones. Mm -hmm. And that's a big debate in emotion research, whether there are sort of basic emotions or universal emotions shared by people worldwide. Yes. So that's one possible misconception is that, you know, these four uh, emotional words in the middle, that they would be the only real uh, overall cate categories but then then again that is not what what the wheel and the people are are saying so the makers of the climate emotion wheel didn't intend that this would have all the relevant emotion words they just wanted to provide many uh, useful uh, emotion words so that people can think about what they may be feeling and what others may be feeling so this may be validating both for people themselves and in relation to others. And we know from uh, science that if we have names for emotions, even roughly pointing to the right direction, then it's easier for us uh, to uh, engage with, that, with those emotional en energies. And I know, Thomas, that this is a very commonplace thing for you as a therapist, mm -hmm. you know, helping people to name and recognize that what they are actually actually feeling. Um, but this brings us to a very important another point, which is that uh, there's lots of different emotional energies often in our body minds. Mm -hmm. By body mind, I mean that our body and mind are connected. And I like the word, even though it's a bit, bit te technical. Yeah. And that's also something which sometimes doesn't come up in climate emotion research or public discussion, for example. People may sort of have the presupposition that, you know, should I feel just anger or is somebody just feeling anxiety or sadness or just hope? And it's not so. Uh, people are feeling many kinds of emotions and, and feelings and sometimes there can be interesting clusters of emotions or interlaced emotions, you know, emotions which are somehow tied to each other in the person's experience or the group's experience. And that's something I think, Thomas, we haven't talked about yet in the podcast, even though we have been talking a lot about climate emotions. But I'm interested about these 
emotions that go together for some people in certain situations. Yeah. When I see the climate wheel, and we'll put a link um, to this, you can Google climate emotions wheel and you'll, you'll, you'll find this and you'll find these, these other famous wheel uh, models of emotion. Um, uh, I think of the color wheel, you know, when people are doing art or design, when we're mixing colors to get different shades, I haven't seen that. You might've seen that talked about, but you know, these primary colors, you know, primary emotions, uh, obviously humans like to categorize things. So we're always kind of seeing what, what box, and so they categorize emotions. They're always looking for, for more simpler sets uh, of emotions. But the color wheel, I think, is a helpful analogy because feeling blue, whichever emotion you want to categorize for blue, and then, of course, feeling yellow emotions, you know, creates green emotions. Um, so we could run with that metaphorically. People who are feeling sad about the environment and also love and curiosity might lead them to some deeper connection with the environment. You know, I don't know. So I love playing with the metaphors. But yes, if just for the public, I mean, we're, we've, you know, read too many pieces and too much stuff about climate emotions. We're kind of deep into this. But just keeping in mind, like Panu was saying, is people have researched emotions for forever, going back to, you know, Aristotle or, or, or whatever, um, and tried to make different categories and different, different things. And uh, there's some famous researchers out there that have studied um, people's facial expressions and uh, how that's that emotions are physical things in our bodies and we have the physical posture or facial expression that it causes us to feel a certain thing. So that the bi-directional aspect, the psych psychologists used to debate about what, what came first, a thought or a feeling, you know, which was faster. That's an interesting area. And then, um, of course, more recently, people have been, like yourself, Pandey, have talked about climate emotions and really trying to figure out what people are feeling about all these these issues. Um, and that's that's newer, and that's really interesting. And then we have different even um, different views on that, right? We We know people use regular emotions words like loneliness or loss. You know, Glenn Albrecht is a thinker that has created a whole special vocabulary of, of, of climate words to kind of, I think, give justice to these unique kind of, and I think it speaks a little bit to those special feeling mixes that you're talking about, but, you know, solastalgia is a well-known word that, that a lot of people have heard that was, came out of that work, this, this combination of being nostalgic, but feeling lost for an area that you actually haven't left. It's the, the, the world is leaving you versus you leaving the world. And we're, that's, that's a very interesting nuanced emotion that's really touched a chord for people. It's important for people not to get confused about this. These are just diverse, interesting ways, you know, that people are talking about emotions, right? Isn't, isn't that a fair statement, Panu? Yes, I think definitely so. And I love the color metaphor that you are using, using Thomas. And mm. I've sometimes been thinking about shapes and colors. So if a, if a person like many Finns are, is feeling climate guilt and sadness and hope at the same, same time or next to each other, what kind of form and color a visualization could depict that. And this is something, of course, which can sometimes be done in self-reflection or in workshops, for for example. And it's not scientific, but it's helpful. And that's the most important thing. And 
and Glenn Albrecht's work has been highly influential for my own own work and Solastalgia, for example, is in this Taxonomy of Climate Emotions paper. It didn't end up in the in, in, in the wheel, uh, but, but it's it's there and broadly earth emotions as Glenn calls them. Uh, there's lots of very important shades that are coming coming out. Two big things that are also related here is one that you hinted at, Thomas, which is sort of the length or intensity of emotion. So there may be sort of short-lived mm -hmm. emotions or feelings, and then there may be longer-time affective phenomena, for example, moods. And this is something which is important in relation to climate emotions also. And I know that many people have generally bit like sad moods and, you know, then ho hopefulness may pop up at, at, at times. And if you have a tendency towards sad moods, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't ever experience joy, for example. Mm -hmm. And this is one of, one of the uh, richnesses of our emotional lives, and especially when they are healthy, when we are able to feel these different emotions, then our capacity to feel all kinds of emotions is larger. And this is a long road for any of us. I know that personally, for example, it's a continuous learning process to be open to various emotional energies. Mm. Of course, one needs to also do some regulation about it and in social situations we can't just always let all emotion out that would be very problematic but it's also very problematic if we uh, do too much suppression or uh, repression yeah and fi finally finally before i want to ask what you think about this is the aboutness of emotions so climate emotions some of them are about climate change in general but then some are about certain aspects of it. And for example, joy, uh, it's very difficult to feel joy about the existence of the climate crisis, but it's very very yeah. uh, often that I feel joy because of the large number of climate activists, for example. Mm. I was thinking about some of the research, but the last, what was the last part about climate activists? So I didn't quite follow that piece. The last part of your statement there. Yeah, well, what I mean is that some of the so-called positive emotions may be mm -hmm. much easier to feel in relation to, for example, climate action. Yes, yeah. yeah. Than to climate change in general. Yes, exactly. I was watching some um, some film uh, recording of the recent uh, climate march in New York City and. Um, I saw a uh, little bit of the speech of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, um, and it was very uplifting and it was, you know, you could, and I, I could sense the, the energy uh, of the, of the crowd there. And so I think that's one of the, one of the aspects of them. One of the many is like, we don't feel them only in isolation. They're, they're social, you know, social things that happen within groups of people. Um, so that's a, that's one angle here. And, what is there's a saying uh, you might know it i think it's a swedish saying about um being together um cuts our grief in half but it doubles our joy you know something like that you know so so being together with people is both helpful for sad feelings uh, it helps to bear the weight of sad feelings we're sharing them but like being together and sharing them positively kind of multiplies uh multiplies so that's i think there's a 
I mean, we could do a whole podcast. I mean, we do have a whole podcast on emotions, but we could do a whole other podcast just on the science of emotion uh, and um, the social aspect of it, the neuropsychological brain aspect of it, and the uh, philosophical social justice aspects of this kind of stuff. It's just fascinating. Um, yeah, I think that's a great, great point, Thomas, and very relevant for climate emotions because some of them are so heavily intertwined with our social relations. Mm-hmm. And that's why, for example, I didn't just apply any theory of basic or universal emotions, because those are more related to, you know, what, what did we get in evolution type of thing and what sort of emotional energies we need, mm-hmm. for example, if we live in a forest or jungle. But then uh, amidst other members of our tribes and also contemporarily there's all these dynamics about guilt and honor for example social approval or disapproval and feelings related to sharing life but also social hierarchies and so on so Mm -hmm. many of our climate emotions are heavily moderated by these social dynamics Uh, and that's i think an important aspect yeah yeah yeah, so there's a saying, you know, all, mod- all models are wrong, some are useful. So all these different models are limited in some way. They they obscure something, and that's why we have different thinkers, and that's why I have people with different models because um, they show things that that are lost. So a wheel image captures some things, but a a list uh, captures another. A process, some sort of process, you know. I mean, one way to um, moderate our climate emotions and is is go to different groups of people i mean that's one way to categorize climate subcultures like what is their dominant feeling well i know if i go to this meeting it's going to be dominantly fear and anxiety of this particular group if i know to this one it's going to be curiosity you know if i know to this one it might be if i go to the climate march i can imagine the feelings are going to be righteous indignation and and camaraderie and so we can we can put ourselves where we want to get the feelings, you know, it's a, we're social beings, you know, we're, we're group animals. And so, um, that's one way of, that's one way of coping, coping with this stuff. And like, I talk about being a climate cosmopolitan, like I can go and hang out with the, um, people that are creating new, new, interesting language words and see what that's like. And I can go to the scientists and see what they have to say. And I can go to the march, um, and see what they have to say. Uh, and it's the right tool for the job. I think practically when you're, uh, if someone's trying to make change in their organization or in their school or in their job, this is the classic with any kind of um, change. You, you have to understand your audience and you have to understand how, how they typically speak. Um, I know if I bring in ideas like solastalgia or Terra fury is another great word I love. That's sort of like anger about the climate and environmental issue, you know. It's anger, like we all know, but Terra fury has this special tone to it. Now, with some groups, they would love to hear that, and it really is helpful. But if I am at the hospital, at Mass General Hospital, and I'm talking about working with the patients and the researchers, and I say, we have to channel our Terra fury, well, they might say, okay, that sounds like environmentalism. That's not going to fit here in our hospital. So if I talk about emotions and that our clients are struggling with difficult emotions and that, you know, so it's using the right emotional language for the right subculture and for what you're trying to do. 
as there's always this practical side. I imagine you've seen that as well in your work. Yes, definite, definitely so. And my public work in Finland has taken me to many kinds of odd audiences. And it's quite different if you are with with an environmental NGO mm-hmm. or then a network of car salespersons who have become interested about climate matters. Mm-hmm. So, so just to mention a couple of couple of ex- examples and our episode with René Lertzman some months ago is mm-hmm. closely related to this because she's one of the persons who has been studying and observing emotions which are under the surface. And that's yet another complication that there may be climate emotions that people are not aware of themselves for complex reasons. For example, it may feel intuitively too painful to allow or the sadness to come to the surface, for example, or people, uh, including myself, often might want to repress some of the guilt. Mm. Um, So for communication and education, that's another layer of trying to uh, be aware that there may be things under the under the surface and for me following the guidance of Susan Moser and, and others uh, one key takeaway has been to not to be threatening in communication because there is so much fear underneath the surface in people even those who don't claim themselves to be environmentalist in any way so all kinds of threatening imagery, for example, can just lock people more. So that's something what I do in my public work, that I really try to make those safe spaces and allow for different kinds of emotional responses, including sometimes frustration towards environmental matters in general. Then sort of Mm -hmm. recognizing and validating that can be a way forward in the conversation instead instead of presupposing that everybody should be right away keen about these matters. For sure. Um, when you brought in uh, repression, then that opened up a whole nother window around emotions that brought, I mean, if, if, if we could bring Sigmund uh, Freud back or Melanie Klein or one of the great psychoanalysts, you know, they would, of course, have a whole very rich take on all of how we feel emotions, what's conscious, unconscious. I'm always pragmatic about this. So it's like, you know, certain things we, certain things we express, like we share, certain things we suppress, like we don't share for various reasons, because I'm not going to talk about this feeling in this particular audience or in this particular situation, or, hey, I'm in a crisis. I can't afford to break down right now. I need to keep on my my game face and get things done. So I'm going to suppress this emotion in service of getting things done. And then of course the idea of repression where we shove these under the surface somehow and and forget that they're there or unconsciously channel them. That's a whole nother rich area that, you know, listeners are going to, some listeners are going to respond to. So that's a whole nother. And just broadly, like you say, the therapeutic process, because it's a process, you know, it's um, like, like anything else, these, some like, I've talked about this before, but you know, when I my work with people, I say, well, there's there's um both what do you feel, and you we can use a wheel for that or whatever, and then what do you want to feel? So there's a there's this kind of going toward like what feelings do I want to grow and cultivate that turns this into a personal growth project, um, and then of course from that there are some 
it's feelings that are frankly a stretch. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to, um, you know, uh, empowerment. That seems like a stretch at, at a given moment when I'm feeling loss and depression, but I can stretch toward it. And because feelings are wild and, you know, things happen and I go to that, I can guarantee if you're depressed, but you went to that climate march and, and, um, you listen to some of those speeches, you might lo and behold, feel empowered. So it happens. Uh, so there's that stretch, there's those stretch feelings. And then, and then there's some feel really scary, tender feelings that people don't want to go to. And we have to be very respectful of that and kind of, kind of sneak up on those feelings and become comfortable. So it's a whole process, right? I guess that's the therapeutic process, whether you're in therapy yourself or, or just your own life, you know, your own daily struggle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so really rich yeah. stuff. Yeah. I think Thomas, that's very help helpful for, for us all and a great brief definition of suppression and repression and that's those kinds of thing, things and you know pumping up the energy in a certain emotion is one option and then sort of pumping it down i'm not sure if this is the best metaphor in english but anyway mm -hmm. there's more techni technical terms for example in this emotion focused counseling which i find very in interesting and um, that's something i've been trying to learn myself also in relation to emotional energies that sometimes you know consciously uh, sort of increasing it a bit or allowing it uh, to to grow a bit more if the situation so demands and then sometimes you know, you know uh, trying to lessen it often because the situation doesn't allow uh, more uh, more of that mm -hmm. and those situations in my life are often related to public facilitation or speaking and it's it's terrible if you are having a uh, presentation or workshop about eco-anxiety and then the facilitator breaks down so that's gonna be quite a situation when the group then has to carry the facilitator and well, mm -hmm. well that's human and may happen to certain degrees but for sa safety it's important that uh, there's enough enough of that uh, but I, I wonder whether you Thomas uh, how much do you use this with your clients you know these skills of sort of pumping up or down the energy of emotions oh yeah i mean it's 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 at the heart i think of almost any therapeutic work i mean in my sort of approach and then the manuscript i'm working on you know it's basically chapter two you know of this manuscript you know is how to how to feel and how do you want to feel the first chapter is how to think so it's starting to just be aware that we have all these models and and we have different lenses we look through and there's diverse ways to look at the world i think that's that's a good place to start but then yeah how do you feel i mean i've always thought there's three there's three main tasks in environmental work how do we feel about the situation how, what do we how do we describe it how do we think about it and what should we do um and so much of, of our, all our education and academia and science and climate change reports in the news is all about the description and how do we think about it and all the data and all the info uh, and then of course what should we do we should do this policy or that policy but the how to feel is always underneath all of that um and that that's why that's my part of my theory of how why eco eco anxiety is so prevalent because it, it's bubbling up because people's feelings aren't really honored and then we know just in science in general scientists are taught not to not to share their personal feelings and in policy and law is very dispassionate, right? 
that's the that's the ideal being dispassionate but where do those feelings go so um so yeah so i think it's just it's just it's just huge and yeah sometimes we want to we want to fake it till we make it and pump up some some positive emotions just like coaching a, a team of young people in a sport or something like that or coaching ourselves running over a, a hill when we're running our race um or getting through our day um and then sometimes yeah we want to take time to just feel all the feels like you know Britt ray has a has a section in her book about you know just all, feeling all the feels all of them you know so yeah so giving permission uh giving permission about that where do you think you're going where, where are you going with some of your work like what what kind of projects are you working on now or what's the next next step for this for you thanks thanks for ask asking since the completion of the process model of eco anxiety and grief which we discussed at an earlier episode i've been working heavily on theories of grief and bereavement mm -hmm. not to be gloomy but to bring yeah. out nuances related to how much change there is around us and in us and the sort of uh, perceived need to be able to name those kinds of nuances like you know changes and losses related to identity and roles and in in addition to the very visible changes in our so-called natural en environments so that's hopefully gonna be finished quite soon the first quite long regrettably again long article about theories of grief and bereavement as applied to ecological grief mm. any sort of practical next step is what i've been drafting which is like a sort of uh, questionnaire or self-reflection sheet about mm -hmm. uh, ecological sadness and and grief so if if somebody wants to do that kind of work either as inner work or with others then there's sort of practical application of of doing reflection about what things are changing and that should also include i think those kinds of changes which have many sides there may be both personal growth and loss at the same time for example so those those kinds of things mm -hmm. and i'm e eagerly awaiting your forthcoming book thomas also i know that's a long mm. distance run but it's in the in the process yeah yeah and it's you know i'm i mean i shared a milestone i shared the first chapter with my you know my book agent person I'm working with and so that's a you know personal milestone for me this week um to moving forward you know into the into this process but but you're speaking to a, a final thing here um I think we can end on which is you know on the emotions whatever whatever model you want to use whether it's the vocabulary list or new words uh or the emotions wheel there's one thing to talk about it from a distance and it's another thing to like if we're like a dart and we throw ourselves at the emotional wheel, we land, boom, in sadness or, we, you know, we land in depression, then we, okay, we're sitting in that. And that's a whole, that's the process. That's part of, you know, we're in that and, oh, okay, I have to open myself up to this loss and depression. And of course, loss is a part of life. So many, many losses related to just general life and letting go of things and of course, from a Buddhist perspective, you know, life is suffering because we're attached and we have to let go. So just being aware at any given moment, you're going to be sitting, we're going to be sitting in a, in a section. I can also 
be in a section that's has empathy. Okay, I'm empathizing with myself, and that so we can we can kind of move our peg around the the wheel. When we're in a slot, we're in a slot, and we have to feel that. So that's that's the that's the job, I think. So we can nudge ourselves toward different sections if we want. We will find ourselves in different sections. Um, anything you're looking forward to for the rest of the evening, Panu, as we as you wrap up your long day? Autumn is coming in Finland, so the sun is already mm. setting. So there may be a yeah. chance to get a bit of sun sunlight when when going going out. And how how is your starting day looking like, Thomas? Well, yeah, I know you're really a, a a student of the seasons, and I am as well. And so there's seasons of emotions, and so yes, I was actually thinking about autumn as well because we're in early, early autumn coming into October here, and the leaves haven't really changed yet. Uh, but it's the weather has clearly changed, and it's cooler and wetter. And um, for me personally, that moves me more into the purple part of the wheel there where I'm more likely to to naturally feel some loss and melancholy as the year's ending. So yes, um, but I'm frankly looking forward to after this, I'll be with my therapy training group and I have people coming in from around the world this season, from India, from Italy, from England, from Hawaii. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to jump in with that group and they're, you know, they're really interested in this stuff and we'll get to, we'll get to talk about this stuff and it's generally pretty, like this podcast is very uplifting for me it gives me hope gratitude empathy inspiration empowerment mm-hmm. interest it keeps me in that blue positive section of the wheel so that's all all good and you know i have i've spent some time in the overwhelm section this <laughs> week my daughter has been home from school cuz she's been ill i've been working on my manuscript you know uh, so yes we can get overwhelmed so listeners just be aware you're in all these different fields. Uh, some of you are experts on certain these areas, uh, both as scientists or as as humans. Um, so um, be well. And Pana, you have a great evening. And uh, listeners, take care. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.